Hello, and welcome to another episode of War Stories with B-Rex. This will probably be a little bit better than last episode, but still kind of short. Um, just a little checkup or check-in with me. Um, pretty much just been fishing a lot with my friends. Actually just went fishing with Plunkett, my corpsman, from my first deployment. So that was pretty cool. And coincidentally, the same weekend I hung out with Shot and Presnell, uh, corpsman from my third deployment. Presnell was actually my squad corpsman or platoon corpsman. We kind of split them a little bit. Um, Shot was in first platoon. So that was pretty cool and, and unexpected. Uh, I was actually uh, down in Norfolk. One of my friends is opening a pizza joint. It's New Haven style pizza. He's from Connecticut. And uh, basically we were down there at the job site and he's, he's opening a huge restaurant. It's pretty pretty large undertaking. And um, we were going to this place called Union Taco and we uh, were just getting, I was just getting a beer because I had already eaten lunch, but we were, we even saw these, these old apartments that were built into an old warehouse and we were like, oh, those are pretty cool. I wonder if they're nice inside, blah, blah, blah. We were talking about it. Went into the restaurant with my friends from the neighborhood, uh, Two of them were actually Navy guys. One was a Riverine, Scotty, who was a Riverine on my first deployment. We never met, but he was actually in the same area that I was in. And then the other, my buddy Henry, he is a retired Navy guy. And then two guys that were not in the military at all. But uh, we're sitting there, and out of the blue, shot hits me up and says, Hey, Presnell's in town. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm down in Norfolk. And he's like, oh, I live in Ghent, which he does not. He was actually incorrect about that. He lives in the railroad district, not Ghent, but I'll let it slide. But uh, he was like, I'm like, oh, no shit. I'm down I'm down looking at my buddy's uh, pizza joint that he's opening, and we're eating tacos at Union Taco. And then he was like, no, don't go anywhere. And he and Presnell just showed up right there. Uh, they just happened to – he happened to live in those apartments that we were talking about, which is pretty funny. Um, he and Presnell, so they got a beer. I actually had to run back to the neighborhood because we had, I had plans, but, uh, then Presnell and shot came out and we did a, you know, minor bar hopping. We didn't go crazy, but definitely drank a lot more than I wanted to I had, had more, more bars than I wanted to, but it ended up being a really fun night. Shot sang a little bit of, uh, karaoke towards the end and, uh, I tried and failed talking to this one chick, but basically hanging out with President on shot and just telling war stories was super awesome. Um, definitely going to have them on the podcast at some point in the future. Uh, but uh, so that happened. That was pretty cool. Um, I've been I've been talking with some guys from you know various deployments, some of my Marine friends and some of my civilian friends. Uh, we're we're thinking about getting into hunting which I've never done before. I've never shot a bow. I've never shot uh, an animal other than a couple dogs in Iraq and Afghanistan for combat reasons. Sorry, Bandit, my dog's chilling by my feet. Um, but uh, we, um, we're talking about getting into hunting. And, then you know, we have a couple of guys have a little bit of experience. Some of my friends, my friend Rivera up in uh, New York, he's a very avid hunter, so... He's, I've been asking him a lot of questions about what kind of bow to get, 
you know, what kind of rifle to use and all this stuff. Um, I've always, something I've always wanted to do. Uh, and then basically, uh, my great grandfather passed away when I was in Iraq back in like 2008, I think. And he lived on a farm. He is actually like a rodeo cowboy kind of a guy and he, in Indiana. And he, uh, he had a bunch of guns and basically finally somebody asked me, you know, 15 years later, like, Hey, would you be interested in, in some of these guns? And I'm like, well, what is it? And my parents being non gun people, my dad, I think just didn't want to do it. But my mom was like, I don't know. Th- I think there's this 22. It looks like a 22. And I asked her to show me on FaceTime and we were like looking at it and it's a Winchester 3030 model 1894, which if you're into guns and hunting, you realize that that's like pretty sick. And then I did a bunch of research on the serial number and found out that it's, it was made in 1955, but it looks like it's brand spanking new right out of the box, which is pretty cool. So I plan on using that. And then that kind of started the whole, maybe I should go hunting. Cause that's like a deer hunting rifle basically. And as a part of these firearms also, I think I, I know that I got a, 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 uh, Remington 870 Wingmaster 12 gauge that I intend on using for birds and whatever else, maybe deer. Cause around here you can't really use a rifle. We'd have to travel up to the mountains for that. But, uh, <clears throat> so then it also had a 20 gauge bolt action shotgun, which is kind of weird. I'm, I haven't, Again, my parents are unreliable to talk to about this stuff. They are not gun people. Although, with the way things are going, they're sort of turning into gun people and are talking about getting their concealed carry permits and stuff, which I think is hilarious because they've always been super anti-gun. Not anti-people's rights to own guns, but they just didn't want guns in the house. Um, My dad saw a lot of accidents and stuff, so he, I think my dad's a little bit sketched out, which I get nervous too, especially around my friends who have never been in the marines or trained with firearms it's it's a little nerve-wracking sometimes a little aside (laughs) but uh so yeah i'm excited i'm excited to uh finish acquiring these weapons i only have the 3030 now and then you know kind of using doing some i have a plan mapped out kind of like a patrol going into the dismal swamp i'm going to kayak in there and see if i can find a good place to put up a stand and try to do some bow hunting so that's exciting, and I don't know if you guys are in here trying to hear what I'm, I'm doing in my day-to-day, but uh, that was just a little check-in on the situation. Um, but uh, so, okay, I left off thinking talking about my second workup, and really, I, I spoke with Montana, and there really is nothing memorable that happened on that workup. Uh, I told you the story about the general coming to visit and our first sergeant, who was kind of a prick um, at the time. Um, and our lieutenant, who was kind of a prick at the time, Staff Sergeant Schaefer actually really liked and didn't really have any, anything against him. Um, he definitely kind of butted heads with the lieutenant at first, and he seemed to try to stick up for us, which was unique and different. Um, but uh, one thing that was pretty cool was when it came to rifle shooting, like my M16, I was always pretty good. Um uh, I've gone shooting. I actually have a pretty sweet AR-15 that I modeled after my M4 from Afghanistan. Obviously, haven't gotten there yet in the story, but 
So it's a pretty nice, you know, 16 inch, which is the smallest you can go to the civilian, but it has an ACOG on it, just like I had in the Marines. And I'm still holding pretty tight groups. Um, so that's pretty sweet, but I digress. But, uh, back then I was like a dead eye and there was a handful of us that were just incredibly good shots. Um, and so from my platoon, they actually selected myself, Hooth and Schrantz, pretty sure Schrantz. Um, but, and the three of us actually left the company for two weeks and got to do coaches course and become uh, combat marksmanship instructors, which was pretty awesome. I had a really good time. Um, when you qualify with the rifle, which you do every year, now it's they just changed it like this year. Uh, but I think the 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 ranges are all the same. So when I went through, it was twenty five rounds. Each round is is possibly worth five if you hit the bullseye. So two fifty. Um, right? Am I saying that right? Yeah. So two or two twenty five? Maybe it's. I, mean, I don't know. Either way, I'm being stupid. But basically, you shot shoot or standing, sitting, kneeling, and prone at 200, 300, and 500. And I, yeah, I think you did like five, five, and five. And then you did standing, sitting, kneeling at the 200. And then you did kneeling and sitting at the 300. And then you did only prone at the 500 i should probably google that let me let me uh let me go ahead and pull this up really quick but the course was awesome because we actually did you know learn to teach uh people how to shoot so basically like another iteration of of boot camp kind of training hold on i have to put my mic down for a second Um, but we actually went all the way out to 600 yards. So we were shooting 600 yards with iron sights, which is pretty insane. So yeah, so it's the USMC KD course and hopefully this is the old one. Yeah, except cookies. Let's see. I'm, I'm on my, um, on my work computer, so hopefully I don't get pegged for something weird. Uh, yeah, the, the course of fire includes shooting at targets 200, 300, and 500. Oh, this doesn't give you the exact, the total, the actual breakdown. Um, maybe this will, operationmilitarykids.com. Mm. Uh, but that was fun. We also did... Uh, yeah, there's a maximum of 250, 50 rounds. Sorry, 50 rounds, not 25 rounds. Each one's five. And, but uh, it was cool because we didn't have to deal with the company's bullshit for two weeks. And also it was cool because at the course, especially this course, we weren't getting treated like boots anymore. Like we had obviously done like nine months of heavy combat. So we shouldn't be getting treated like boots, but... You still basically do, especially by our new first sergeant and the new staff and COs and our new lieutenant just treated us like boots again. So when we actually, when you got a chance to leave the company and do something, you usually got treated much more like an adult, much more professionally, much more 
kind of like, hey, you're here to because you're good at something and like, you know, you deserve a little bit of respect for that. Um, because usually for, out of, for us, we'd usually, the three of us that went, we were all shooting like 240 in the 240s. So we were only getting not a bullseye, like three or four rounds out of 50 rounds. So we, we were all pretty good at shooting. Um, trying to think of anything like funny happened, not really, but it was just really nice to get down there basically. And the, and the rifle range on Hawaii is actually down. And I think it's a, it's like an offshoot of Hickam air force base. I believe, um, it isn't on K Bay because K Bay didn't have a range long enough to do that at plus the range at K Bay kind of sucked because like environmentalists would come out into the, into the like danger area behind the, where, cause we basically shot off a, a cliff, um, which is pretty crazy. There's like half of a volcano crater on the north eastern side of K Bay, if you look on a map. Um, and it used to have the turrets from the USS Arizona, which is pretty crazy. Like they took the turrets and moved them there and put them up on top of like one of the vol- like the volcano rim, I guess you would call it so that it could shoot Japanese ships if they tried to invade, um, which I always thought was pretty cool because my great-grandfather was on the USS Arizona. He was one of the few survivors. Um, but So that was kind of cool. But the range itself kind of sucked because, one, you had dodo birds or booby birds. There might have been boobies. Like red-footed boobies, I think they were called, and they only live in like three bushes on the entire planet. And those three bushes just had happened to be like just above the targets on the hill that you shoot into, like on the rim of the volcano as it comes around. You have your row of targets, and then 10 feet above that, up the hill, there's just these three bushes, and you just see all these white birds that just live there, and they don't do anything. They just sit there. And if you accidentally shot one and they found out who it was, it was like instant jail time because <laughs> it was like a federal offense. So you have, if you're shooting at the range, which it was, you would have to like be trying to shoot up there, but it was still just funny. Cause it's like, Hey, these are the targets. If you shoot just above them, you're going to jail for the rest of your life. So that was pretty insane. But because you're shooting kind of like on the edge of a cliff, like off the cliff almost, there were these buoys that went out into the ocean that marked off where if a boat passed them in the ocean, we had to cease fire. And so some days you would just be sitting there at the rifle at the K Bay rifle range. Um, we used it a lot for like combat shooting and stuff, which I'll, I'll talk about a little bit later, but, um, I know that I've kind of got off on a tangent and talk about this, but this is the, the range at our base, not the range that you go to, to qualify, that has up to 500 yards down at Hickam Air Force Base. This is the K-Bay range. And so hippies would drive their boats, or yeah, I guess drive. They would captain their boats to inside of our area, and then they would just do like donuts in their boat, knowing that it was like ruining our, our day. And I don't know if they were like hippie white people that were doing this, like liberals that live in Hawaii, or if these were like local Hawaiians that were doing it not only as like a hippie anti, you know, anti-war kind of a thing, or if it was literally the Hawaiian like 
anti-American, like we want sovereignty movement people. Cause that's, that's something that a lot of people don't know. And I don't know if I've mentioned that on this podcast yet. I might have. Um, but like people in Hawaii do not like that they're part of America and they want to be their own country. Um, and they take it out on young 18 year old white boys like myself that get stationed there. <laughs> and, and I kind of understand, it's not like I don't hate them for it, but it, it definitely sucks when you're that age and you're like dealing with basically racism. Um, which is funny to say, but, uh, so that would happen. And sometimes we'd go to the range and it would just be like something that should take like two or three hours just ends up taking like f- the entire day or we have to come back the next day to finish the shooting. Um, cause we did a lot of like, I think it's called tables five and six where you actually, you know, th- the farthest you shoot is a hundred yards. So you shoot at a hundred yards, then you move into 25, then 15, then 10, then seven. Um, and if I remember correctly, you shoot like 10 rounds at a hundred yards that had to be headshots. This is standing. So this is like full combat gear. Um, when you qualify for the Marines, when you go to Hickam, you don't wear any like combat gear. You're just wearing basically camis. Um, Kind of like if you remember the movie Full Metal Jacket when he's shooting and the drill instructor's like, wow, nice shooting, pile. And he congratulates him. He's like, I think we finally found something that you're good at. That's the known distance course. So you basically you're just in – you're not in combat gear. You're just proving that you can shoot a rifle like fundamentals-wise. Um, <clears throat> so then when you do tables five and six, that's combat shooting. So you're actually standing – at 100 yards, you do 10 headshots, and the target is like a human-sized target. And you actually have – each person has two targets like right next to each other, and it's two human-sized targets. And there's like a 10-inch a circle right where the heart is, and then there's a what's called a T-box on the face, which is if you like look at yourself in the mirror and you took a marker and you drawed – drew drawed if you drew above like along your eyebrows across and then down and then your cheekbone you turned back in and then at the edge of your nose you went down to like below your nose and then back up and then over your other cheekbone and then up you'd basically draw like a t and that the t box is important because the human skull is actually like really hard and if you're shooting people, especially if they're wearing helmets, like, you know, the Russians or the NVA or the Chinese or something, and you you shoot them in the, in the head or face, the only shot that kills them instantly is if you hit within that tee box. So, like, people can get hit in the, like, take a chunk out of their head and keep going. Or you can hit them in the helmet and... It doesn't penetrate or it hits them in the helmet and it barely penetrates their skin on their head or you hit them and it bounces off like a bullet can actually bounce off of somebody's skull. Um, so if you really want to kill somebody by shooting them in the head, you want to hit them like in the eyes or between the eyes or in the nose because that's where your skull kind of has like openings, obviously, your nose holes and your, your eyeball. I mean, imagine like think about like a human skull like in your science class or whatever, like that's kind of like the most open part. Um, So on tables five, you get 60 rounds. And if you hit the target, the human size target, it's one point. 
And if you hit inside the circle or the tee box, it's two points. And so you start at 100 yards, you take 10 um, headshots, then you move into 25, and that's where you start doing uh, what are called deliberate pairs. Deliberate pairs, hammer pairs, and um, I think it's called deliberate pairs. I'm pretty sure it's deliberate pairs. Deliberate pairs, hammer pairs, and failure to stops, also known as Mozambique drills. I think Mozambique because it was like some battle in Rhodesia or something, or some city in Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. Um, but basically a failure to stop or a hammer, uh, I'll do a deliberate pair is when you do, it's like you, you aim in at their chest, you go boom, boom. Like you want to hit them both times in the chest. It's for like medium range stuff. You know, like something that if you did a hammer pair, like a hammer pair is when you literally try to shoot as fast as you can. Boom, boom. And a deliberate pair is where you kind of slow down a little bit and make sure both hits actually hit inside that circle around their heart. Um, and basically, as you get closer, that's when you kind of switch, like, I don't know, that 15 yards maybe 10 yards, 15 yards is kind of when you switch to a hammer pair because you're so close that when you aim in once and you pull the trigger twice really quick, the chances are really high of you hitting within that circle both shots. Um, and then when you add the – also, you always want to do two shots because um, you, ha you create what's called hydroshock. And I think that some hunting rounds are actually like intentionally hard hydro shock rounds for like dropping a deer or some sort of animal quickly because it creates what's called hydro shock inside the body of a person or inside of an animal. And basically because your body is made out of water when you hit somebody in the chest and if you've ever seen like ballistic gel on YouTube or whatever, you kind of see what I'm talking about. When you hit somebody in the chest, a shock wave goes through their body. And one of the kind of paradoxes of combat rifles and combat ammunition is that you're not really trying to, you're trying to kill them, but you're also okay with if they live, they survive. And that's kind of hard to, th to explain, but you're kind like, you kind of, if you shoot somebody in the chest, pretty much human beings, they're done fighting. You know, like people don't normally take around to the chest and then keep going. Now, I'm not talking about you're like kicked down a door and there's somebody like five feet away from you and he's hopped up on fucking heroin or drugs or whatever. And you're like in a life or death close combat situation. I'm saying in like a normal battle when you're shooting somebody at 200 yards, you hit him in the chest. They're generally done, you know, for the most part. Yeah, there's crazy like Rambo dudes out there, but you, you get you catch my drift. But because military ammunition is not the way the Geneva Convention is written, it's not irregularly shaped. So like our ball ammunition, it goes right through people. That being said, it doesn't have very good hydroshock naturally. It's not like you're hitting them with a, an intended hollow point hydroshock round where one round creates this massive shock wave inside their body and it hits their heart and causes it to stop. So what you try to do is you try to go bang, bang quick enough to where you get the double action of hydro, hydrostatic 
waves interacting with each other, which when waves hit each other, they, they double or they, you know, they add on top of each other. So you kind of want to create that in someone's chest that can kill them instantly, or it can cause them enough damage where they're incapacitated. And that's also why you use it at close range, because at close range, when you're, you know, inside of a room with people like in Fallujah or wherever, especially when the insurgents are like, they shoot up a ton of drugs. They, they, they're like high as a kite when they know that they're about to die. Cause that's kind of their intention. Like they they don't fight battles to like survive the battle. Like we do, <laughs> they are 100% okay with dying and that's what they want to do. And so you really need to kill them. You can't. And, and there's been cases where people have been hit like 10 times and you can see light coming through them. <laughs> Like they're in, like their chest cavity is like missing, and they're still trying to kill Marines like that close range. Um, so the Mozambique drill or the failure to stop is designed for that. So when you shoot somebody twice in the chest and they don't go down, you instantly bring up that third shot and put it between their eyes, or you hit them another. You know, you keep shooting them in the chest, which is what a lot of people do, just because adrenaline's pumping and shit like that. But another, especially becoming more and more relevant in today's day and age, not really when I was in combat, um, and definitely not really like in the everyday, you know, good Samaritan stopping a mass shooter, but like people wear body armor now. Bad guys wear body armor now. Insurgents wear body armor now. The Russians are wearing body armor, you know, like the Chinese will be wearing body armor if that war ever happens. Um, but basically you shoot them twice in the chest. They don't go down. You put that next one right between their eyes. They die. So tables five is pretty fun in that you start at a hundred round or a hundred meters. You move in, you're doing deliberate pairs. And then you actually, you do a few either deliberate pairs or you might even do failure to stops between you walk from 25 to 10. So during that 10 meters, you're actually doing a couple hammer pairs or deliberate pairs, whatever they call out. Basically somebody's on a loudspeaker and they tell you, but you're moving forward. You're shooting the targets. You're, you know, you're getting, uh, you're getting graded on it too. Like I can't remember what passing is, but the max score is 60 rounds times two, 120. That's your max possible score. We all try to get like, you know, one tens and stuff like that. We try to be pretty high and we all were really good. <laughs> like even the worst shooter in the company is still a really good shooter in real life, you know? Uh, so we would just do that. We'd go to that range and do that so often. Um, but, uh. So the, and then I think table six, basically you do all that same stuff. I can't remember the round count off the top of my head, but you actually add in pivots. So you start all facing, like not facing your target, shooting your target. You start facing like to the right and then you learn how to like, you know, turn your head, see the target, pivot your body and then bring your rifle up instead of bringing your rifle up and flagging the person in front of you and then turning. You kind of learn all these different, like, turning. I think you even do 180. Like, you're facing away from the target. You, like, hear something, you look, and then you have to, you learn, like, swinging your body around and shooting and stuff. 
it's all pretty fun. I love shooting, so I always had a really good time. The only annoying thing was when those damn hippies came out, or whales, which whales are cool. They don't know, but like if we saw a whale within those buoys also, we had to stop shooting as well for environmental reasons, which I always found hilarious because I'm like, really? A two-two-three round at like 3,000 yards hitting a whale probably – I mean, I guess it could still kill him, and it might not feel good, but I feel like a whale would be fine. I don't know. That's just me, though. <laughs> but there's a shit ton of whales in Hawaii, which is always pretty cool because Hawaii is just ridiculous. I'm, I'm sure some of you out there have been there. Um, just it's in hindsight, it's so awesome to have lived there, and I really want to go back, but I'll never do that flight again probably because I don't fly anymore because fuck that shit. But – it's gorgeous, and I wish that I would have taken more advantage of, you know, diving, spearfishing, fishing, all that stuff. Yeah, I guess this, this is the workup that I did do some spearfishing with Plunkett uh, in actual K-Bay, and then I would go by the golf course. I don't really know what that would be called. Um, basically, like, officer housing. There's all these little beach accesses and stuff. Um... Let's see, pulling up Google Maps so I can, I can talk about it a little bit. Zooming out from Virginia, zooming in on Hawaii. Yeah, so like if you're looking at Oahu, K-Bay, it's called MCBH on, on Google or, or Google Maps. You can see up in the north eastern corner the, the half volcano crater that I'm talking about. And then, yeah, Battery Peninsula, if you zoom in on that, that's where they used to have, you can see the old concrete, but that's where they used to have the uh, Arizona turrets, which are pretty cool. And then, let's see if I can find these stupid booby birds or whatever. Yeah, you can, it, just below that, you can see this these the bushes with the white, like the white specks and stuff. Those are the birds. You can literally see them from outer space they just hang out in like these that's the only place on the whole planet that these stupid fucking birds live is these like three bushes four i guess four bushes it's on at makapu point and if you look i mean yeah there's there's photos of what it looks like it's just incredibly gorgeous and if you, if you see that that ocean out that way that's where the damn stupid freaking hippies would go or the whales. But yeah, I'd go to North Beach. There's a little little walkway down and uh spearfish right along the the rocks right there, which is pretty cool. 